Inside a sealed tomb lay a massacred body, devoid of life. And then on the third day, in that dark, empty grave, a finger twitched, eyelids opened, and that lifeless body began to have light emanating from it and being transformed into a glorious new body. That body that had been mocked and spat upon, had been beaten, had been nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns placed on the scalp of that head, that body that had once walked among people and healed them and calmed the storm and brought the dead back to life and helped lame people to walk and blind people to see, that body sat up and stood up and walked out of that tomb that day. We cannot fully grasp the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ And I know some people hear that, and maybe they think it's a fairy tale, or maybe they think like, well, that is really amazing if that really did happen, but good good for him, what's that do for me? It's kind of like someone that would hear about someone that played the lottery and won several million dollars and would say, well, that's good for them, I'm happy for them, but what good does it do me? Well, I want you to know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has everything to do with you and I because if you were a person who heard about somebody that won the lottery and had millions of dollars and you say, what good is that to me? Well, what if they offered you some of that money? All of a sudden you'd be like, oh, hey, that's different. This is cool. This is really good. What if they included you in their inheritance so that you would get their wealth This is exactly what the resurrection of Jesus Christ does for us. His life, His perfect sinless life, His death on the cross to demonstrate His tremendous love for you and I, and then His raising from the dead bodily to demonstrate His amazing power and that He is a living God who you can talk to. In fact, Peter, one of His closest disciples, who got afraid when the governing, governing officials came and arrested Jesus and began to take him away. Peter denied even knowing Jesus because Peter was afraid of what those same Roman authorities would do to him. And even though Peter denied it, Jesus, even though he had walked with him, seen the miracles, Peter saw Jesus mocked and beaten, abused terribly physically, verbally, all of those ways, nailed to a cross, saw him executed, so to speak, in the cruelest type of manner, and saw him dead. Peter was changed from a person who was hiding in the shadows to a person who came out and spoke boldly and powerfully about Jesus just a little time later. Why? What was it that had happened? I'll tell you, it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Peter saw him alive again, and not only Peter, but other of 
Christ followers. And in fact, the Apostle Peter writes this for us today that I want to share with you because Peter wanted us to understand future generations that, that he knew were not alive when Jesus walked this earth, but he wants us to know that Jesus is alive forevermore for every generation, not just back then, but every generation since then and really even prior to then for all time. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, let's read the words that Peter writes here. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Think about this. We all, as we go through this life, we want to accomplish things, we want to achieve things, we want to gain things. I mean, that's just part of life. So whether you're pursuing something in the business world, uh, wanting to make more money and accumulate more things to have a better home and better vehicles and all that stuff, it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but the point is where does it stop? You know, at what point do you feel like, okay, I'm satisfied and I've got enough? Or maybe it's in a a particular career that you're in. Maybe it's in the music field or maybe it's in politics or something in the government where you're working toward getting power and having some sway that you think if you can have more power and somehow have a say in things and have control over other people and other things that somehow it'll make you have more control over yourself. And we know that's a lie. Maybe it's in the field of athletics or uh, maybe it's in another endeavor. Whatever it is that you pursue, there comes a time when you're going to die. And everything that you have worked for in this life is gone. You're not going to be able to enjoy it anymore. It's not going to have any significance in your life from that moment forward. Sure, you can leave a legacy here in this world, but... In eternity, nothing. And so we really need to think about this, that in our pursuits for things in this life, it is important to think about eternity as well, because if all you are doing is living to pursue things in this life and you're totally rejecting and not thinking about eternity and what comes after this life, you're in a world of hurt. Because even if you succeed in this life and you get to enjoy 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years of the things that you enjoy doing, when you die, if you are not in a right relationship with God, you're going to spend an eternity being separated from God. And this is not, this is not scare tactics. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just speaking the truth. You want nothing to do with God now in this life, and yet when you die, somehow you hope you're going to get to heaven or have eternal life or whatever heaven is to you, and you've created this own thing in your mind, but you totally, you want God to be what you want Him to be, not what He really is. And so when you die, you find out, oh, gee, I was wrong. I guess I didn't make up God in my mind. He's real, and He's not at all like what I thought. And if you are not in a right relationship with God you're going to be in torment forever. Now, I know people have described it as hell, as a lake of fire, as torment, and I'm not trying to 
say anything that's not theological here. I do believe in hell. I do believe in a lake of fire. I believe those are descriptions to just help us to understand the torment of it. But in the same way that we can't wrap our minds around the glory of heaven and how awesome that might be. In fact, one of the great songs that people have loved over the last, in the last five, ten years is, you know, I can only imagine. And that's all a happy, feel-good song. And I don't mean to put it down. But what about hell? I can only imagine. I don't want to imagine. Because in the same way that we can't imagine the good of heaven, we can't even imagine the torment and the agony of hell. And think of it, you've worked your whole life in this life for what you wanted, and you've left God out, and now you're dead, and you're separated from God, and then you wake up the next day. Well, you don't wake up because you don't sleep. And day after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, torment, agony, everything that you worked so hard for in this brief little hundred or less years is a blip on the radar. This is important stuff. This is why the resurrection of Jesus matters. This is why the things of faith matter. And this is what Peter wanted you and I to know, that this isn't about some guy that won the lottery and somehow he's inviting you to share a little bit in the money. This is about the God of the universe who came to earth, took on flesh and blood, walked among us so we would know who he was, so we could see his love demonstrated. And what he didn't have to do, he took on. We are all under a curse. I I don't know if you realize that or not. I'm reminded of it every day I look in the mirror. (laughs) It's like, where did all that beautiful red hair go back in high school that I had? Uh, You know, why when I look in the mirror now, I see these lines in my face and things deepening. Oh my gosh, I'm under a curse. (laughs) But you know, we're all under a curse. It's called death and it affects our physical body. Jesus didn't have to go through that curse because he never sinned, but he willingly, because of his love for you and I, he said, I'm going to take that curse on and I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to beat it. And that's what he did. When he was nailed to the cross, he took all the punishment for the curse of sin and death. And on that third day, he walked out of the tomb and he beat it. And he says, if you want to have hope, not only in this life, but beyond this life, then trust in me because I have defeated death for you. That's why he is a living hope because he is a living savior. And Peter writes about this. We have this through Christ. It's better than money. We have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, there's some aspects of this whole salvation thing that is in process for us, but it's not fully completed yet. That's why we still go through tough times in this life, even as a follower of Jesus. It's why that we can experience His grace and His goodness in various ways and at various times right now, but the end of the story hasn't come yet. There is coming a time when that salvation will be complete. Just like someone who can't swim is drowning, and then a lifeguard who can swim very well comes along and grabs you, And the moment you're in the grasp of that lifeguard, there's an aspect of you're like, hey, I'm saved. I've got somebody now that can take me to the shore. 
And so there's a sense where you're saved in that moment, but it's not complete until you actually get to the shore. And then when you get to the shore, your salvation is complete. You're like, hey, thank you, I made it. Well, this in the spiritual realm is what's happening now. If you come to Christ now and put yourself in and allow yourself to be in his grasp, in his grip, and his power, he will take you to heaven based on what he has done for you, not your efforts and what you're trying to do. So Peter goes on and he writes in verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes through refined, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is so good that Peter wants us to know, even though Jesus rose from the dead and he is powerful and you give your heart and life to him, we're still going to go through difficulties. So when you go through those difficulties, remember that the one who died for you and rose again has you in his grip and he does love you. And even though you may not understand why you're going through those disappointments, those heartaches, those trials, all of those things, God is using it to grow you and mature you spiritually. Again, when we think of anything we do in life, whether it's music or sports or in the business world or whatever it is, the more you practice it, the more you put it into work in your life, hopefully the better you become because you're developing and you're maturing. And that's the way it is spiritually. God doesn't just do, you know, all the work for you all the time. Now, your salvation is complete in Him. He's finished that work. But we got to learn to cooperate with Him in this world. And so, that's why trials come into our life. But it's to help us learn to exercise that faith. That's why Peter writes, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I mean, how are you going to celebrate overcoming things in this life if you've never had anything you had to overcome? And then he says this, and I, this is wonderful because Peter was writing with you and I in mind today. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you here or listening online have seen Jesus? I mean, I haven't. I have seen his spirit working in people, and I see evidence of it by the way that they treat each other or the way they've treated me or uh, just how they're living their life. But I haven't seen Jesus physically with my eyes. That's why Peter wrote this. He wrote this for those of us who would be born and live after the time that Christ walked the earth, died, rose again, spent time with his disciples after he rose again bodily, and then ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit into the world. Peter knew that there would be people like us today who haven't seen Jesus, but he wants us to know that he loves us and that though we haven't seen him, by faith we can trust in him and we can learn to love him because he first loved us. That is a living hope. The word that Peter uses here in this passage for living, the Greek word is zeo, and it means to live, to breathe. It's not lifeless or dead. It means active, blessed, fresh, strong, efficient, powerful, effective. He can give us that kind of life even 
as we are going through trials. So here's just the three things that I want us to think about today, and they're very simple, and it's probably nothing new, but we need to be reminded of them. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us an opportunity. It gives us an opportunity to believe. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And Jesus also said in John 14, 19, it's recorded, because I live, you shall live also. That wouldn't mean a daggone thing if he hadn't conquered death. But he did. He conquered death. So these words have power. These words have meaning. Because I live, you shall live also. We sang the song this morning. The praise band did it. For God so loved... Oh, don't worry. I'm like, <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's the key word there besides Jesus? Believe. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have an opportunity, you have an opportunity today to believe in a living God, not to believe in someone that lived a long time ago and no longer exists, not some mythological character. You have an opportunity to believe today in the one who loves you and died for you and rose again and is right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a moment, a little bit. You have an opportunity to put your trust in him because he is alive. But it wasn't always that way because when Jesus died on the cross, his disciples' hopes, they felt their hopes died with him. They were devastated. All that they believed in was gone. And I don't know this, but I just I figure some of them were like, well, what good are all these promises he gave us now? I mean, you know, he's dead. I guess he's not true to his promises, all that was, was that, was that all just a lie? Were we deceived? And then the reports started coming in. Mary, on that third day, she went with some other ladies to the tomb to finish preparations for the body and he was gone. The, t the stone was rolled away. The Roman guards that were guarding the tomb to keep the body from being stolen because they were afraid there would be some kind of a conspiracy theory. So they literally posted Roman guards there, wasn't to keep Jesus in, in because they didn't believe he was going to raise from the dead. It was there to keep other people out from stealing the body. But they fled away. Roman soldiers don't do that. You flee your post, you pay for it with your life. But they fled because they had seen this risen Lord. They didn't understand it all. So Peter and John, when they heard, they went to the tomb to see what was going on. And the tomb was empty and the stone was rolled away, no body there. And they wondered what was going on. And then later that evening, as they're still trying to figure all this out, there were two disciples. One of them was named Cleopas and, and another disciple. And I'm going to probably talk a little bit more about Cleopas next week because just like these other characters we've talked about, very seldom mentioned, don't know much about them, but had a huge impact, and God did something amazing in their life. And that gives me hope today that whether I'm well-known or not doesn't really make any difference as long as Jesus knows me and I trust in Him. He, he can use you and me or anyone to make a huge difference in the world for good and for His glory. But anyway, so Cleopas and this other disciple had an encounter with Jesus as they were leaving Jerusalem, going back to their hometown. And after that happened, they were so excited, they ran back to Jerusalem to find where the disciples were hiding. And they started telling them this amazing thing. You won't believe this. Jesus is alive. We saw him. 
So in Luke 24, 36, Luke records it this way. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Yeah, I would be too. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. This is so important because when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't some little spiritual being, some little ghosty floaty that somehow came out of that dead body and then came out of the tomb and then started just appearing to people like a little ghosty, a little spirit being. No, this was a glorified, resurrected, powerful Savior who in that body that was massacred was transformed, glorified. We can't understand it. I can't explain it, but you know what? I can't explain how we got here. I can't explain how the universe came into being. And if you're an atheist, you can't either. So just stop it, will you? It takes faith to believe either one. I'm going to use my faith to believe in a wise God that created me and has a plan for my life. If you want to believe in something else and life is a chance, then go for it. But I'm going to believe in a God who created me and created this universe and came into this universe that he created and demonstrated his love by dying on a cross and then beating death. Top that, atheist. So Jesus wanted them to know that he was a risen Lord and not just a ghost. So he said, look, if you don't believe it's me, now remember, it was a glorified body. So he looked different than he looked when he had been beaten, but he was able to maintain, I believe God allowed his body to maintain some of the scars, the the nails in his palms and his wrists, uh, the nail prints and in his feet, the spear in his side, because he invited them to look and to touch him. And he didn't stop there. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? (laughs) I love that because, uh, hey, some of you are going to like this. Apparently in heaven, we're going to eat. You're going to get to enjoy some food. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know that you're going to need it to stay alive forever. Probably not. It's just going to be something apparently that God's going to allow us to enjoy. Because Jesus had this resurrected, glorified body, and he wanted us to see what that was going to be like. But again, it was different. That's why many people, when they saw Jesus, they, even when they looked at him, they're like, well, is that Jesus or not? But yet, when he talked and when he interacted with them, they knew. And of course, when they saw the, the nail prints in his hands and his feet and, and the evidence of the spear and aside from that scar... Why is that? Well, again, we're under a curse right now. These physical bodies are corrupted. And that's why death and disease and COVID-19 and all these things that we experience affect our physical bodies. But inside, in the spirit, that is something that is eternal, that God placed within us. You see, you're not a, a body with a spirit tucked inside. You are a spirit that is given a body to dwell in. And that's a big difference. So Christ wants your spirit to become alive with him, and he wants to indwell your spirit. And the Bible says that corruption, we're corrupt in these bodies. Corruption cannot inherit incorruption. If we would go to heaven in these old cursed physical bodies, 
we wouldn't last a day. We'd be blown away, literally. So God's going to give us a new body that will be fit for our soul and our spirit so we can dwell forever in His presence, and that's going to be a different body. It's going to have some similar characteristics, but it's going to be glorified. We don't fully understand all of that, but again, there's a lot of things we don't fully understand, and yet we still put to use in our lives and make use of it. So Jesus wanted them to see that, this, that He was a, a real living person. So, um, do you have anything here to eat? <laughs> they gave him a piece of broiled fish. <laughs> like, all we got is leftovers, Jesus. Okay, I'll take it. So, he, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Now, whether he did this through some supernatural means... Uh, and just gave them the ability to begin to comprehend, like lifting uh, blinders off their spiritual eyes, and they begin to really see the truth. They're like, oh, okay, and now, now we understand. Or in the way that he explained it, but their minds began to be open to comprehend and understand what the Scriptures say. I think that's really important for us today. There's many people today that read the Scriptures and don't understand it. And they need to have their minds open. We need to have our minds open. So we need to pray and ask Christ's Spirit to open our mind, help us to understand the Scriptures. And He will do it. He told them, this is what was written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This is really good news because... Salvation and forgiveness is not just for the nation of Israel or for the people back then. It's for all people everywhere, for all time, all nations, no matter what color of your skin, ethnicity, what, whatever, whatever your gender is, all of that, it is under the hand of God. But you, here's the word, repentance. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name. Repentance means when you recognize how much God loves you and what He did for you, how selfish of you, how selfish of you, if you would just say, well, that's really nice, but I'm just going to keep living the way I want, you know, because this is what everybody else says is popular now, and this is the way we ought to live, and this is what we ought to do, and I'm going to go with them, and thank you very much, Jesus, but I'm going to keep living my way. That is not repentance. Repentance is recognizing, oh, my goodness, you are God and I am not, and I need to begin to adjust my ways to your ways, because when I die, it's going to be your way and no highway. <laughs> so today is an opportunity for us, by faith, to surrender and yield to our Savior, the one who gave His life for us, and to say, Lord, I recognize I'm heading the wrong direction, and so, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me of my sins, and I want to I want to start heading your direction, but I need your power and your strength to help me do it. That's what is to be preached in the name of Jesus. And Jesus then told him, your witnesses these things, I'm going to send you uh, what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. He was referring there to something he had promised a little earlier. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. This is before he went to the cross. In John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
how is that going to happen? If Jesus is a physical body, how is his physical body going to be in my physical body? Well, he wasn't talking about the physical body. He was talking about his Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus said after he conquered death and rose from the dead bodily. He said, I'm going to ascend back up into heaven to be there with my Father. I'm going to intercede for you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending my Holy Spirit in the world so that I can dwell in you and you can dwell in me. We have a spiritual union now that fits you not only to help you through the trials of this life, but for all eternity, because I am now in you, the one who conquered death. Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved to my Father, and I will love them too and show myself to them. He wasn't saying that like saying, you have to obey me or I'm not going to love you. That's not what he meant. He was saying, if you really believe in me and you really want to be my follower, then you're going to show it by listening to what I say and trying to pattern your life after what I say and live in a way that I teach you as a better way to live. Any of you that have been in a relationship with someone, it's easy to say, I love you. But if you say, I love you, and you never do anything to back it up with actions, well, I love you, but I expect you to do what I want. Well, I love you, but I'm not going to do anything to help you. Well, I love you, but I'm going to live my life over here, and I expect you to adjust to me, right? That's how this thing works. None of you, trust me, I counsel a lot of people. Nobody stays in a relationship like that very long. So why do we think that God would be any different in His love for us? He says, I love you, and I've given everything for you, and so if you really do love me, you've got to do more than just say it. It needs to be backed up with actions. That is what faith is. It's putting your belief into action. And so because of this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an opportunity to believe, but it's also an opportunity to receive. Not only believe, but an opportunity to receive. John says this in John 1.10, he, talking about Christ, was in the world, the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. This is talking about the nation of Israel, but I would say today, because he's a living Lord, and I'm bringing the message of Christ to you, and, and it's coming to you as, as a human being to other human beings, people to people, the message is coming to you, and you have a choice whether you're going to receive it or not. Is Jesus coming to you today, and are you going to be like the ones that, well, he came to me, but I didn't receive him? He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. This is how we become part of the family of God, is to not only believe, but to receive. If I had a gift, a physical gift right now, and I brought it down to your seats, and I offered it to you, or I set a bunch of gifts on a table, and I said, these gifts are for you, I want you to have them, you could look at that gift, whether it's in my hand or on a table, and say, well, that's really nice, Mark, I believe that. But if you walk out of these doors and you don't take that gift, you have no benefit of it. It's made no difference in your life. You still don't have that gift because you didn't, you might have believed in it, but you didn't receive it. So to receive something means you've actually got to accept that gift. You got to get it in your hands and unwrap it or open it up and put it together and use it, whatever that gift is. We understand that in the physical realm. Well, how do you receive a spiritual gift? Because you can't wrap your arms around the spirit. Jesus tells us exactly how. Believe. 
It's why he says over and over, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You've got to believe, believe, believe. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin is a reality in the world, and sin damages our relationship with each other and with God. And Jesus said this in John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. But you see, we need to, again, with that belief, we need to receive it. That means we need to act on what we believe. Romans 4.25 says this, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Justification means to be made right with God, to be in right standing. And this is the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. If he had died and not risen again, he would have just been another person like anyone else. But he rose from the dead. Death is a curse, and Jesus broke that curse when he rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22 says this, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Christ gives purpose to our life. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here's an amazing thing. Well, Mark, what if I accept Christ, but, but what if I mess up? Because I, I know I'm weak and I know I struggle. Well, I got good news for you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he is alive, he intercedes for us every moment of every day. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, it says this, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And because of that, we can have peace with God. There's some days that I get up and I don't do so well. And I'm not talking physically, I'm talking spiritually. There's sometimes I might give in to temptation, do something that I ought not do or not do something I should do. And in those moments, I'm, I, I'm just going to use myself as an example. I realize, man, I've, I've blown it. I've, I messed up. And, and Lord, you know that. And so when I pray, I ask God, forgive me and help me to live for you. But where's the confidence in that? I would have no confidence unless I knew that Jesus is a living Savior and He's interceding for me. That's like a picture of being in a courtroom. And God is not exactly like this, but just to help us understand His, His holiness, His justice, and His righteousness, but also His mercy and His grace. So when I mess up, God's going as a judge. There it is. Mark broke one of my laws again. Poor guy. <laughs> he just struggles. And Jesus is there as my defense attorney. And Jesus says, yeah, Father, I know. He's a work in progress. But remember, I died for his sins. That sin that he just did, remember, I paid for it on the cross. And God, in his justice as a judge, says, you're right, you did. It's paid for. Okay, Mark, come on, keep going. This is the Christian life. 
It's knowing that we have a living Savior that is constantly interceding for us. It's not an excuse to sin, but it's to have confidence to know that when we do mess up, God offers His forgiveness and grace because Christ is in our stead. So I just want to finish with this. In Romans 8, 9, 11, this is really a key passage because we brought it from the believing and the receiving. Now we're talking about it's a, because Christ has risen from the dead, it's an opportunity for us to experience a better life now and in the future, even though life down here is hard. We get all these temptations, but we need to learn to live by the Spirit. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, beginning in verse 9. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. That ought to unsettle us a little bit. There's no maybe. You're either saved or you're not. You either have Christ in your life or you don't. So stop fooling yourself. And so the real issue is, how do I know I have Christ in my life and His Spirit? Because I want to be sure. And Paul goes on and he says, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And there is evidence of Christ's Spirit in our life because His Spirit brings things into our life that maybe weren't there before, things like mercy and grace. And He begins to develop and change our mindset about things and about people. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faith, self-control. Oh, yes, I said it, self-control. That is a fruit of the Spirit. That's one of the ways that you can know if Christ's Spirit is working in you. When I was a kid and I would get in trouble, all I worried about was getting caught. When I accepted Christ, I not only worried about getting caught, (laughs) but I worried more about I felt like I was disappointing God. Like God was saying, Mark, come on. I've got better things for you than this. Come on, will you let go of that and and learn to follow me better? And so that's evidence of the Holy Spirit being in our life, the day-to-day living. And it goes on and it says this, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The only way that I could think to give you an object lesson today that illustrates this truth is by these two balloons. They look the same on the outside. They're basically the same size, the same color. They're basically the same, but there's something very different about these balloons because one of these balloons just has oxygen and carbon dioxide in it, and the other balloon has something called helium in it. And it's what's inside that makes all the difference. And this, to me, is the best illustration that I can tell you about the difference of having Christ's Spirit in you versus having the world's Spirit in you. Here is you and I without Christ. We want to go to heaven. We want a better life. So we do this, and we do this, and we do this, and it just doesn't work. We could, I could stand here all day and do this, and I know it's getting late, and so we need to move on. But which do you want to be? Do you want to be this? in the tomb and dead? Or do you want to be alive in Christ? And it can start today, not just when you die. You can experience His Spirit in your life today because He is alive and He's a living hope. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, you may know that you have eternal life. This is what the Apostle John wrote, who walked with Jesus. Would you stand? 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, um, but I would like you to just give me another moment of attention because whether you're here in this facility or whether you're watching online, I'd like to ask you a question. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Spirit of Christ is in you? Because if you're unsure, He wants you to be sure. He is alive and He's available to you right now. But what He wants you to do is to believe He is who He claimed to be and that He did what He said He would do. He conquered death. He spent time with His disciples in that glorified living body for a period of about 30, 40 days. Then He ascended up into heaven and then He sent His Holy Spirit into the world and He's available for you and I today. So I just invite you to if you feel His Spirit, if you can't say, I'm not sure if His Spirit's in my life or not, but you feel maybe that little tug inside, feel like maybe spiritually He's speaking to your spirit. The Scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and, and dine with him and, and they with me. Jesus spoke that to a church that had basically started walking away from him and had pushed Jesus out of his own church. If Jesus spoke that to his followers that were starting to reject him, then don't think for a moment that he is not willing to come into your heart if you've never come to know him or if you've doubted. His spirit right now is knocking on your heart's door, so to speak, your spirit. And all he wants you to do is to believe, open the door and receive and let him come in and he'll begin to work with you. So if you're listening to this message right now, I'd just like to pray a prayer for you, and if you want to pray the prayer with me, but you're, we are talking to a living Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you for conquering death. Thank you that I can talk to you now because you're alive and you hear. And Jesus, I don't understand everything about all this, but all I know is, I need you, and so I'm asking you now to forgive me of my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again. I don't understand it all, but Lord, I receive you now as my Savior, and I ask you to help me to live for you. Open my mind so I can understand more about this, and help me to learn to walk with you and to live in this life with you. Fill me with your Spirit so that we can be together, not only in this life, but forever. Thank you for all that you do in your precious name. And Lord, if there's those of us here who have prayed that prayer and trusted you, but we've struggled and we've let you down and we all do, thank you for your great patience and perseverance with us. And I just pray that you'll help us to recommit our lives and to, to be reminded of the importance of this living hope that we have in you. Forgive us when we've taken it for granted and we've pursued other things in such a degree that we've not pursued you at all. Forgive us and help us to begin to reprioritize things and begin to include you more and more in our life that we can experience the glories of heaven forever and ever and to bring our loved ones and even those that we don't care for along because of our faith in you, in your name. Amen.